I was in England when I came back. They gave me a guitar and I was playing this little. And while I was doing it, she's doing this little. That too. And I, and I had this. I looked at it. It doesn't happen to me often, but just like that, I saw that like she was like 18 or 20. Like I'm, she's two, and I see her old and, and 25, and with a white dress on. I'm like, and I see her getting married, and uh, so I started writing the song. And uh, uh, so this is a song with my baby girl.
I love, I love my daughter. She got on the phone tonight and she looks at me and she just started crying. She goes, I'm sorry, Daddy, I just miss you. And uh, so I believe the Holy Spirit's gonna do something tonight because all of these things are, um, the Holy Spirit loves to meet people when they sacrifice. And I've, um, I've never, for a number of years now, there's been this growing conviction in me that uh, a good daddy should be there unless there's a war to fight. And I think back to some of our parents that had dads that had gone off to World War II and they came back kind of a mess because of what they saw. <clears throat> and I think about what would happen if their dads hadn't gone to war. And Hitler would have won. And, and I want to apologize. Like, I'm sorry your dad couldn't be there when you wanted him to be on that birthday. But I'm really glad that you paid a sacrifice so this world wouldn't be ruled by evil. And I think that's something that's forgotten today. Is that if you love anyone at all, if you actually love them, love is love. Remember that? Love is love. We've seen it in all the restaurants and everything today. To love is to unselfishly choose for the highest good of God in His kingdom. So if I love you, and I think about how you feel this moment, not related to eternity, you can't call that love at all. You can call it lust, maybe. But love is love, as long as it's love that we're talking about. Right? Unselfishly choosing for someone's highest good is unselfishly choosing for someone's highest good. And anyhow, I believe that, uh, that um, all of us, you know, there's 10 kids between just Jonathan, me, and Josh. <laughs> That's a lot of kids. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it, it won't be a month price to pay. Um, it's another night, another four, five, six days of their young life. Um, last year I had, you know, a hundred and something travel days. And my kids love me and I love my kids. But they know to pray with us tonight. And so basically the question is, is the Lord loves to meet, the Holy Spirit loves to meet you at a place of sacrifice. And my sacrifice wasn't much. Um, we gotta have fun on the way. But your sacrifice tonight could be something. In the scheme of eternity, it won't be much. It'll be like, man, I, I cried so hard about giving up that for this. What was I thinking, right? When the bathtub's being em emptied of the hot water, you'll be like, oh, this isn't comfortable at all. But when it gets filled up with something better, you're like, okay, never mind, that wasn't so bad. And sorrow may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You sow in tears, you reap in joy. And so uh, that's, uh, that's that, so you guys all right? So I wanna talk a little bit more about propaganda. Uh, what is propaganda again? Repetition of ideas until you accept as fact that which you've never proved or examined. The repetition of ideas until you accept as true that which has not been examined or proved. And remember, repentance is getting out of your mind, it's getting a new mind, it's, Re-examining what you've been told and dismissing what insults your soul. Re-examine what you've been told and dismiss what insults your soul. Propaganda says, 
this is what you're feeling and this is why. Re-examine what you've been told and dismiss what insults your soul. In other words, I just started off a little bit. You know how often the word depression shows up in the Bible? Anybody know? One. And interestingly, it's a word that is shakar, which is the first time the word shows up in the Bible, it's the word worship. So that's the food for that. So if you want to have freedom, sounds like a brave heart thing. Freedom! <laughs> if you want to have freedom, let's figure out what God calls what you're going through. Does that make sense? It's so simple, but nobody does it. They just go, oh yeah, this is what I'm feeling, that must be it. I would be so disappointed in the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is, you know, the, these whips, you know, like, you know, how many times minus ones? He goes, I bear in my body what Jesus lacked. He got whipped more than Jesus. He was stoned and left for dead, right? He was locked in prison. So cruel to him. I would be so sad if I'm reading the New Testament and Paul was like, and every time I heard a prison door clang shut, I was like, oh God, they're coming for me. And he's like, I struggle with PTSD. And, and now if he was godless, I would expect that. But if he's got the Holy Spirit living in him and he's had the Holy Spirit heal him and raise him from the dead and, and prison doors open, in other words, he's not scared of boogie in the dark. He knows who he works for. He knows who he's got his back. And so everyone accepts propaganda that you have to stay suffering these things because that's just what happens when you go through trauma. Hell no! My mom OD'd when I was Nine years old, she OD'd on cocaine, passed away. I burnt my house down just a few months before that. Molested by a guy in my church um, a little bit before that. After the, after the house, before, before, the, um, before she kind of passed away. My sister cut her wrist and didn't want to live at home, and my dad locked the doors. And... I came to the cross and I realized just that Jesus didn't save me from what I've been through. He saved me from where I was headed. Jesus didn't save me from my past. He saved me from my future. I remember coming home and walking on eggshells and never sure which dad you're going to get. Some of you know exactly what I mean. You're just not sure. You're like, is he going to be happy dad or is he going to be angry dad? I just don't know. Right? And there's all sort of stress stuff going on. I'm going to run up the credit cards. And the reason I burnt the house down was because she'd taken our toys and sold this stuff for drug money. And so we couldn't afford the electrical bill. And so the house was out of power. And uh, I built this cardboard cat house. And, and the cat didn't want to stay in. So I put a candle in front of it because uh, we needed the candles to see. And, and the cat, and then I left upstairs because I'm an idiot. And, and then the cat was like, I want out of this box. And so knocked the candle over, which lit the box on fire, which lit the wood panel house on fire, which burned the house down. The day after, we were at a church group and they prayed, God, would you open a door in the Stewart's family life? So I've been through a little bit of hell. And I'll tell you what, the Lord has met me in such 
special places. God, I don't look at my wife and wonder if she's going to leave me. I don't. My mom just divorced my dad after being married to my stepmom after 27 years. And so in some ways I'm spiritually orphaned, except I'm not. The Lord gave me Papa Daniel. He gave me Jonathan. He gave me Josh. And what's so funny is the more I, I begin to see where God is at work, the more grateful I get from it, the more free from wondering, is the enemy going to win? I, I'm like, you're not going to win. You've lost like every time you try to win. I'm not going to be like, oh, shoot, God, maybe you're going to lose this time. You see what I'm saying? In other words, if he's been faithful hundreds of thousands of times in my life, why would I let this little thing go, oh, no, I'm going to lose something hard again. Wouldn't you be disappointed? So, we've got to get a new mind. Uh, there's a thing that describes mental illness, and it's called the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, the DSM-5. Anybody heard of this before? Yeah? Some of you are studying this, and you'll have to figure out how to apply what I'm about to say, because it's going to mess with you. <clears throat> the Diagnostic Statistical Manual is a manual that tries to present diagnosis based on statistics. Some things that used to be in there, Asperger's Syndrome, uh, on the range of autism spectrum, that's gone. At this update, that was in the DSM-4, but in the DSM-5, it's not there. But there's all sorts of stuff, like, you know, manic, panic, schizo, all that stuff is in there. But in the methodology of trying to describe, describe what ailment you have, what sickness of the mind you have, that's what this is, it's about mental illness. There's a couple things they said. They said anything moral or spiritual is not part of this book. Meaning, if I lie, they lie detectors, guess what they, you know why they work? Because your body freaks out when it lies. And when you tell a lie over and over, your brain waves change. You're going to think this is really weird, and this. But you tell enough lies, you can begin to tell from brainwave patterns who's a liar or not. Not because you can tell when they lie, but because the, the brainwave is so messed up, you can tell that they've lied over and over and over again. So a lie is a moral thing. The description of reality. The Ten Commandments. Friends don't do this. If, you're, if you lie all the time, you're not going to be a good friend. So then you're going to have some problems. So that's a moral thing. Spiritual is also like, I did this against God. God was speaking to me. I said, no, I don't listen to that. Well, when, you, when God speaks and you push off his voice, that has consequences to this fallen body that we have. And if you ignore the spiritual and moral cause of anything in here, you've written off probably 99% of what everybody faces. That means the description of what the world is going through is already atheistic and immoral. In other words, it's not moral, it's not spiritual. This has nothing to do with God, nothing to do at all. Let me give you an example. The guy can't sleep, he's bothered, just deep inside. And he's thinking, when he can't sleep, he, he, he's thinking murder or something. I was like, I want to, uh, one of my friends is like, this is terrible stuff. He's like, I saw the one just hanging on the rafter. I just could think about it all the time. Doctor, I can't sleep. And the doctor says, okay, here, sleep. And that's fine. Gives, gives him some sleep, you know, gives him some medicine. And he goes to sleep. Well, guess what happens? The reason he couldn't sleep was his conscience was messed up. His conscience was in a war. 
His conscience said, I got some thoughts of hatred and I don't want to forgive this guy and therefore I can't sleep. I got no rest inside me. You see it? I got no rest inside me because I'm at odds with reality. The Bible says, like, like if you call your brother a fool, it's the same as murder. And basically, I got murderous thoughts inside me and I can't sleep. That's right, you shouldn't sleep. What you should do is go, God, I need you, God, Lord, change my heart so I don't want to kill my brother. And you find forgiveness at the cross. And your conscience goes, my job is done, you can go to sleep now. But if you have a society of people that always suppress their conscience, medicate, 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 suppress it, suppress it, suppress it. The DSM, while it may be of some value, describes what we're going through, atheistically amoral. We know that lying has consequences, but let's just ignore that. So that means the only remedy is experiential or chemical. Meaning, let's keep you in a lower stress job. Let's move you to a better climate. Maybe the mountains will make you happy. Let's get you some physical exercise. And so all they can do is what's called um, pain management. It's called quality of life. It's called, let's medicate a little bit so that this is there. You're not all there. You're not able to think entirely clearly, but you're able to enjoy some of these things without ever dealing with what could be the root issue heart before God. So I challenge you, every time you want to diagnose yourself, check it through the Bible. Go and say, Lord, what do you call this? Lord, I don't know what it is. You know, I found postpartum depression in the Bible. Did you know that? It's not called that. Did you know that? You might want to know what it's called? In Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, Eve has done what she's done, and Adam's done what he's done. God says, I will multiply the sorrow of childbirth and the pain of labor. Two different things. Labor pains are one thing. The sorrow from childbirth is another thing. The Bible's really smart. We think that just because we're discovering new things about the mind, the God who wrote the Bible didn't know them, therefore it doesn't apply to today. But the guy that wrote the Bible knew that that book would continue to apply and continue to apply. It talks about elements decaying in fervent heat before we even knew about radioactive decay and isotopes. And you're like, this is Peter, foot shaking mouth, idiot Peter, right? Like, I'm like not sure what grade he passed, but I don't think it was that past eighth grade. And somehow, because he knows God, he's writing a book about elements decaying with heat death. You know, like science just found that out like, you know, 1800 years later. It's wild. The Bible knows. It says the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? But the spirit is able to divide the thoughts of man. We have a counselor. And his name is Jesus. And that's what we're getting into tonight. Is to be prepared for war. Means we cast off. What the world describes what we're going through. It says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I'll show you again that, that verse in, in uh, James. You guys, you guys okay? 
But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, do not boast and lie the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, essential, and demonic. That means whenever you find advice that says it's okay to like dream about, you know, it's called relative deprivation theory. Keeping up with the Joneses used to be like, you live in a neighborhood and you know your house was you know four hundred thousand dollars and their house might be four hundred ten thousand dollars and so they get a car and then you go well I, I get that car and so it's kind of within you're you're in a neighborhood that has a similar you know socioeconomic thing and so you're able to kind of keep up with the Joneses at a stretch you know they they do that you do that but today like our heroes are not our neighbors they're like on the internet somewhere away. And so we don't feel deprived based on what our neighbors have and we don't have. We feel deprived based on what like Kanye has and we don't have. And so it's relative deprivation theories that we're, we, we pick our heroes. And we, it used to be a good parent would give you a meal a day. And then as people prospered, a good parent would give you three meals a day. And now if your dad doesn't give you a cell phone, you're like, he was a bad dad. He's so selfish and stubborn and like austere. What's another word? Puritanical. He didn't let me use the internet without looking over my shoulder until I was like in college. What a jerk. You know, in other words, we're depressed. It's envy. I wish he would do this for me, and I'm not grateful for what he did do for me. I'm filled with envy, and therefore I'm confused. And it's simple, it's right there. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Pure, it's pure, it's just straight. It's so, you're like, wow. And then it's um, peaceable. That's cool, that means it's not just picking unneeded fights. Then it's gentle. Isn't that cool that when God gives you wisdom, the way he gives it to you is gently? Isn't that, is that like, all of us are like, God, if you just smack me upside of the face, then I will never do that again. Right? Don't you want to be motivated by like, you're like, okay, God, listen, I feel really bad about what I just did there. So next time I do it, if you punch me in the face, then I won't do it again. Right? You're like, God, please whip me. Please. Gentle. And this is why I'm willing to yield. I would think the wisdom that comes from heaven is like dictatorial. If you don't do this, you are a royal idiot. And then here's God giving you ideas and letting you wrestle with them. Isn't that wild? The very nature, the God who knows it all, is still willing to let you like it. It's awesome. Full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Uh, the fruit of true righteousness is the son of peace by those who make peace. So, that's finishing up really the second point. He's got to get the Egypt out of here. If we're going to be ready for war, if you look at an enemy and call him friend, and look at a fellow soldier and call him enemy, you're not ready for war. Let me explain it. A couple of verses that no one likes. You ready for this? Proverbs says, A wise man loves rebuke. Oh, dang it. I must be a fool, because I sure don't like it when people tell me that I'm not doing something right. Actually, as a matter of fact, it makes me raise my temper and go, who do you think you are? And it says, a fool scoffs wisdom. Oh, dang it. Okay, so 
If I'm gonna be ready for war, wise man loves rebuke. Wise man loves, tell me how to fight crime. Okay, don't do that again. Yes, sir. Thank you for telling me. When I was learning how to sing, I, I wanted to sing so bad. I just wanted to worship God. I made God a promise that I'd never play a song not for him, and, and I've kept it. I've only ever hundreds of thousands of songs and tens of thousands of hours, and every song I've ever sung has been for the Lord. And if you're wondering why, like you're like, there's something about his songs, it's because there's the Lord in my songs. And, and every time you sow in faith, God's Holy Spirit, he responds. That's for free. So I want to sing so bad, and I'm like singing to my friends, and they're like, good job, you're like, hey, keep going. I'm like, cool. I'm like, how about this one? They're like, yeah, cool, it's, it's good, it's getting better. Of course, my family's like, shut up, you know? And, and I go to Daniel, and Daniel goes, Eli, I'm listening. Give the voice of an angel. He goes, Eli, listen. You're white. And you're tone deaf. And you don't have rhythm. And I don't know if you ever think of this. Feels. And he goes, but if you want to learn how to sing, you need to record yourself. And then play it back. I'm like, all right, I want to sing. So, playing a song. Lord, lift your name on high. You remember those songs? And I'm like, 15 years old, I'm making a crew. This is awesome. I'm recording right now. I'm like, me, 15, ah, I'm recording. This is awesome. And I'm just like seeing them like, oh, this is so good. This is going to be so good. Like, yeah, this is, oh, this is so cool. I can't believe I can play enough chords to make a recording now. And then I play that tape back. I cried. <laughs> and I instantly quit trusting my friends and encouraged me. I felt like I was going to the prom, like without a zipper with a booger. And I'm like, they're like, they just didn't have the heart to tell me. They're like, yeah, come on, you're great. You know? And I'm like, you're not my friends. But Daniel, the one that was honest with me, he's my friend. The Bible says like this, it says an enemy multiplies kisses, but the wounds of a friend are faithful. An enemy multiplies kisses. You chase the kisses, because you have a lot of friends. Not wild. There it is again, a description of reality. It's just your choice. I want to chase people who make me feel good all the time, even if they are my enemy. But this friend that I feel bad when I'm around him, the wounds of a friend are faithful. And it changed my life. Over and over and over again, I've had friends in my life that are honest with me. Now, it's not like, all right, guys, kick me out, right? <laughs> Although, we have had some of those nights that got just fun. It's like, the, it's like the Russell things, like, it's like, like Last Man Standing, called Superman's. You ever done that? Try those wars where you're in a dark room and everyone goes out to the side and you're like, okay, we go to the middle, we hit through legs, that's what we're aiming for, and you can't stop the game until the lights go on, right? And oh, it's a great game, you gotta try it. Yeah, just, just don't do it this kind of after, or any school. Uh, 
Just an idea. We gotta get God's vocabulary, we gotta get the mind of God for what we face, is what I'm trying to say. We gotta get so good that if you wanna be ready for war, here's this person that hates God but is nice to you. And this person who loves God who's saying something that kinda hurts. And if you need to get ready for war, ready to survive for that, basically you gotta admit we're already in battle. And if you're gonna survive this into eternity, you're gonna have to figure out what you're gonna call these people in your life, God's vocabulary for it. You understand what I'm saying? I'm, this, is, this is tough stuff. I, I wish I could say that this was a joy. It's just reality. And what I found with myself is the world always said, well, Eli, look at what you've been through. We just don't expect very much from you. And then God said, Eli, I know what you've been through, and you can take more. The world always said, listen, give him an excuse. Look what his mom did, look what his dad did. Look at, look at that guy from the church. Why would he ever, you see what I'm saying? The world always would say, he doesn't have to like, like, just go ahead and just, like, just let him be nuts, okay? And God would say, Eli, take this thought captive. No, that was not true. God, that hurts, and I really love that thought. I really don't like that guy. I know. Take that thought captive. Eli, if you don't, if you don't forgive him, I can't forgive you. Yes, God. It's not fun. This part, it's just true. What costs you nothing, means nothing, and is worth nothing. Got a picture I draw as we're getting ready to go to war. And these little dots that are coming up represent desires that I believe God breathed into your heart. They're they're, they're kind of interesting desires. They could be, um, I want to, I, I want to help people. And that's where some of you are doing different majors, and some of you, you want to design things and create things. So the engineer part of you, that's this desire. You can't explain where it came from, but the desire was there to be an influence and, and to be able to give money to people. A lot of times there's different desires that we have. And uh, give money, to be able to have money, to be able to give a car to your kids, to take care of your family. There's different desires, and, and they're deep, deep, they're in the very core of who you are. And those deep desires are there, and they're so tender and special to you, that you, we start trying to dream about how to, how, how am I going to, what am I going to do to bring that desire into my life? And so you can do the next one. We started going, well, maybe this job and this degree and that girl and that friend and that organization, that car, that music. And we start trying to figure out ways to bring into our life to get that thing which is so deep, deep, deep inside of us. And you end up getting this little constellation kind of picture that always involves some sort of compromise. There's a couple of dots, desires that were pretty deep inside your heart that you just kind of give up on. Because you're like, well, I mean, I think that's just being picky, you know. 
and you know maybe maybe she doesn't have to really love my personality but maybe we can figure out how to make this work if you know we're committed you know we all have these compromises while we're trying to bring the desires that are core to us into our life but it is not your job to the Bible says delight yourself in the Lord and he will give the desires of your heart and what he does you follow him and this is what he does. Boom. All the dots are there. I didn't move any dots. They're all right there. But if you're going to draw a pattern for what it is you're hoping God can do in your future, your imagination is just not good enough. Your vocabulary is just too immature. And I know I'm talking to university students. But the words that I learned when I was 18 are radically different from my explanations now that I'm 40. And in 20 more years, look out, world. I'll be able to describe it even better. The same truth that I learned at nine by my bed, that same truth I could not explain. And I get forward and I find another one. That was it, and that was it, and that was it. And as I keep going, you see, wow. The point is, don't chase the pattern. Chase his heart. God has made a promise. It's good news, isn't it? God has made a promise to you. If you will, this is the war. If you live for any other desires, you're not in this war. His heart, his heart, his heart. That's all I got to do today. If I can figure out how to please his heart today, in this very message right here, if I can figure out how to minister to my daughter when she calls on the phone, if I can figure out, do I keep this money, do I give this money? If I can figure that out, then I can wage war. But if I'm trying to fight for my own stuff, I'm not in his battle. I'm not taking him in his promise. And his promise is this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in his heart. And he promises to give you the desires of yours. You put them side by side. Boom. Don't settle for something retarded. I don't mean to misuse that word. Don't settle for something stupid. Kids scratch drawing. Your imagination for your life is this big. From glory to glory, you start. I remember, remember when you wanted to marry your fourth grade teacher, and you're like, please God. And you're like, thank you God for not answering that prayer. That was really, really merciful of you. She'd be dead and I'd be lonely. <laughs> <laughs> you get on a little bit and your imagination gets a little bit better and your prayers therefore are always the best of your imagination and then you get a little bit older oh my god thank you for not giving me that prayer I had no idea that the rest of the world was here 
And then you ask for that, and he doesn't give it, and you just keep pleading, following his heart. And then he leads you into this other thing in your life, for real. That's the battle. We wage war not a flesh and blood. That's how it is. I'm going to show you something. A couple of verses here from 1 Samuel. The question we ask is, is it possible to know God? Or no, is it possible to serve God in the presence of God in a way that pleases God without knowing God? Say it again. Is it possible to serve God in the presence of God in a way that pleases God without knowing God? That's the question. Is it possible... For you to serve God in the presence of God in a way that pleases God without knowing God. First Samuel 2, with the child ministered to the Lord. So ministered, obviously, will serve. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, that's in his presence, even as a child. The child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men, in a way that pleased the Lord. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And then we get to the, now look at the, the verses. First Samuel chapter 2, 2, 2, and then First Samuel chapter 3. And then we get to First Samuel chapter 3, verse 6. Then the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I do not call you, my son. Lie down again. And Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. I want you to promise this. Don't, don't promise it yet. Let me tell you. I promise not to pretend to know the Lord, to know more or less about God, I should say, than I actually know. The reason why so few people are prepared for battle is they pretend to know more about how to fight than they do, or they pretend not to know how to fight when they do. To be a soldier of the Lord, to be ready to navigate this world without getting pulled under. God says, Tommy, do you know what to do? Yes, Lord, of course. In Sunday school since I was four. Tommy, are you sure? Well, yeah, of course, God, why do you ask? Okay, Tommy. Remember, the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, peaceable and willing to yield. Okay, Tommy. Tommy goes and fails. Because Tommy was honest. Everyone see this? How much damage has been done because people pretended to know God because they were confirmed? Or because they were baptized as an infant or as 16 or last year? And there's just so much in the game now, they don't know where to start. They don't know how to get honest. So here's one of the things is we just promise to not to pretend to know more or less about God than you actually know. It's such a simple, why is it so hard? 
because I kind of want to impress, you know, Gina over there. And, you know, I don't know if she would like me if she knew I didn't really know that much about God. And I just say, listen, God is attracted to humility. When there's someone humble, he's like, I can't help but to help. God's like, oh, there's a humble guy right there. How could he pick David out of a field? Just some shepherd boy. His dad, he was a bastard. His, his dad had slept with another girl. That's why he was out in the field. David had a different mama than his brothers. Here's this humble boy, doesn't think much of himself, but he's happy to be tending the sheep, singing songs to God. God says, that one, that's my kind of king right there. You see, everyone else, Saul's head taller, trying to put their best, you're right, you know, put on this image of thing. God says, man, I, I really love it when they're humble. And when they're humble, it's like we can actually walk hand in hand, right? You guys, okay, we're, we're talking hard stuff here. You get stripped away a little bit. My wife, we, we took our Kyle students through the Bible in our church through the Bible. And my wife said, I didn't know that the rainbow was a promise that God wasn't going to flood the world again. She said, I didn't know. And I love my wife because that's why I love her. She's humble. And when she goes, man, I didn't know that. And the Lord showed me, I was like, wow. I've looked at rainbows different ever since. Right? But the other person goes, oh, yeah, yeah I knew that. <laughs> In other words, they choose not to have wonder about what God is, where he's wonderful. They're scared to have wonder. God loves if you have any sense of wonder about him, he gets more of himself. He's like, you like that? Let me show you another trick. <laughs> Boom! Lightning. I was driving back from Albuquerque, and uh, growing up in Alaska, I only saw one lightning storm my whole life. And when I came down to school here, I, I flew from Alaska uh, to uh, Phoenix, jumped on the Greyhound, showed up in Durango, didn't own a soul. And, and, and then I get a car, and I drop someone off at the airport now, we're on the, on the way home, there's a lightning storm. And I go, God, I would love to see lightning strike. The, the words run out of my mouth before right there on the side of the road, 20 feet away, this bolt just hits the ground, shakes the whole car, and I'm like, whoa, whoa! Like, just like, whoa, yes! God, how, wow! That's my God. He loves. When you love to see his glory and his beauty, he loves, the Bible says, the glory, God, um, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to seek it out. God loves to hide himself for those who love to find him. It's actually quite romantic. It's kind of like a girl playing hard to get, you know? Or a guy playing hard to get.
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. There's a bunch of ungodly counselors. Blessed are you if you don't walk in their counsel. In other words, if you're going to let someone counsel you about how to live life and how to get rid of problems in here, they better love God. Nor stands in the path of sinners. No, I'm not going to go with them. I made a break. I'm leaving Egypt. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. They're not cynical. Sarcasm, same root word as sarcophagus. Sarcasm is picking at the flesh. If you want to ruin God moving anywhere, just bring a sarcastic attitude in. So we don't sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Whose leaves shall not wither. Just picture my family. Let me do the scene. That's a good looking family. God gave me that. I don't know how that happened. That's my daughter, Ava. Luke, down at the bottom with glasses. I cried when he had that glasses. I was like, it's going to have to happen forever. It just made me so sad, but he, he likes them. Also, I used to forgive and break and all those sort of things. There's Shane. Shane was my, Abel was my firstborn, and Shane was my first boy. And that boy is special. He's um, got an anointing. You can see on all their faces, there's just a sweetness. And then there's True, my number four. When we had Shane, I had a boy and a girl, and I was done. I'm like, you know what? I got everything I wanted. Got a boy, got a girl. It's good. Mandy's like, I'm not done with him. <laughs> so we negotiate, she wins, we have a baby. That's a new It's pretty fun. So, Luke, when you're a few months old, I think they're cute and stuff, but it's really when they start smiling and moving, and that's when I really start like, having fun. Up to then, they're kind of like, you know, they're sweet and beautiful and stuff, but that's what mamas are for, you know? Mamas have the apparatus to take care of them. God didn't give it to me. This is his idea. There you go, right? So what can I do? I'm not going to fake having the apparatus. That's weird, right? So, so we're not going to do that. Moms are okay, I guess, but that's a different story. So Luke gets about 18 months old, and we're pushing and wrestling, and he's giggling and laughing. And I'm like, and my heart is like, as a, an old pastor friend goes, my heart will pump peanut butter. It's just like, <laughs> you know, and I'm, and he's like this, and I'm falling on the carpet, and he's laughing as he falls on top, and he kissed me on the cheek, and I'm like, God, I'm not sure if I'm ready to be done. So then I go, man, I think you want a fourth, and she's like, I don't. <laughs> we were tired and all that stuff, and and and, uh, and so <laughs> she she goes, um. She was asking the Lord, Lord, should we have a fourth? And, and God just said this. Whatever you, if you have this baby in faith, I'll supply whatever you think you lack. She goes, okay. So we're getting ready to go to Africa. 
and and uh, on a mission trip, and so we basically kind of stayed to have this baby so that she could be, you know, go to Africa with me, and the Lord let it happen, which is awesome. And it's October, it's our retreat like this, um, five years ago. And I'm getting ready to go on stage, countdown timer's on, and she goes, hey, honey, could you walk me to the car? And it's like 10, 9, 8, and I'm helping me worship. I'm like, I'm so, she, she was eating my face. No, I came out from the car. I can't, I'm so sorry. She goes, it's okay. Just, just call me, call me when you can. And I look at the text as she walks off and it says, I miss Carrie. God, of all the wounds that can sink so deep in somebody, is when ministry comes before. You know what I mean? And I go, Lord, I, I don't know what to do and I don't know how I could have been out of this. But, Lord, I'm doing this in faith. Would you go before me, go behind me, and be with my wife? So Jonathan, Jenny, take manager of the hotel, pass the baby. I get a root beer milkshake from Waterburger and a burger. Rush over there as soon as I can. We drink that shake and we eat that burger and we cry. The next day, she puts on makeup, beautiful dress, and we go back to this retreat that we're having. And they're singing, You're a good, good father, that's who you are. My wife, who just lost a baby, is armed to raise high, singing, crying to God. And she goes, Lord, you told me to have the baby in faith. So, Lord, I trust the baby back to you. Leaves will never wither. That's the kind of God we have who will let you go through stuff where your leaves don't ever wither. Sorrow only lasts for the night. So, there we are. And I'm looking at her, and I'm just so proud to have waited and picked that kind of girl, right? So proud for what she is in the Lord. There she is. The next day is Monday, it's raining. I just stay home. Ava was young, and so we just stay home, and we watch some TV, and just kind of, we're with each other. I go back to the office, the next day she goes to the doctor for the checkup. I come home, and she goes, I'm like, how's the doctor? She goes, well, Talk to the doctor, and he goes, Mandy, you were having twins, and they're still a baby. The man's name was true. His name is true. Because when God speaks, his words are true. We can take it to the bank. And it's been wild. She has a, it's called a sense of preview where the, complicated, but she's bleeding, so it's like six weeks early, you go to the hospital, and, and they're like, we're just gonna keep an eye on it, and if this, then we're gonna, we're gonna do a cesarean. We're gonna give you an injection of shots to make sure his lungs are okay. And so they, they give him like a steroid, so the lungs are gonna develop, they can develop quick. And, and so all this way, we're just like, okay, well, 
The Lord's been faithful this far. Why am I going to worry if he's going to be faithful here? And so, of course, there it was. I'm in the, I'm in the, the operating room. They installed this cool little portal. It's like a little, it's really cool little portal. And it's really cool. It's like, it's like a portal. And they pull them out. And after they pull them out, get them breathing, they pull out this uh, placenta. And they had a clot the size of my fist, which means if it had shifted, the baby and her would be gone. Like that. And they're all looking at each other. They said, good call, doctor. Good call, doctor. And I said, you got a good call. The point is, is that I had no trauma from the experience. Because up to this point, I've seen God be nothing but faithful. It's like if you're falling, you're like, whoa, Jesus, you fall, and you get up and start walking. And then the sun comes up. And you realize that every place you fell, like you should have died. But it's not traumatic because it happened, you didn't see it. You didn't know how close to death you were. And that's what it's like for me, walking with the Lord. There's no trauma, it's just afterwards. I'm like, oh, that could have been so bad. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, God! A couple more things. You guys all right? Prepare for war. Um, in Matthew 13, 3-9, then Jesus spoke to many, many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. The sower is someone an evangelist. The, the, the seed is the gospel. And the field is your heart. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. This is a pathway that's been trampled on. It's a street. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. Oh, oh, sorry. And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a special parable. I don't have time to tell you all this stuff about it. But suffice it to say, this is Jesus saying, who's saved and who's not? He's saying, I gave a gospel message. This stony ground received it, but the birds came and took it away. They didn't have the gospel in their life anymore. The second one is this has shallow soil and it grew to life quickly, but then the sun came out and it withered and the gospel wasn't alive in them anymore. The third one was that actually the, the whole purpose of the plant is to grow into fruit. And Jesus says later, if you're unfruitful, you'll be thrown into fire. And so the third soil is something that was growing and beginning to bear fruit. But then the cares of the world choked out the life of it. And then the fourth one is the good soil. And this is the person who gets saved, and, and it says, the person who gets saved will produce 160, 30 fold. Means your life, if you lowball it, your life, if you're in love with Jesus, your life will lead to radical salvation for at least 30 people. That's if you lowball it. And for those of you that like to think lowly of God, that's it. But the Bible says 100 fold first, so I think that's actually our first number. Maybe it's 100 the first year, maybe it's 60 the next year. I don't know. Maybe it goes 30, 1600. Who cares? Well, let's draw the picture of the uh, rocky soil. 
Uh, this is Cliff Hart from Pretty Bad Edison, and it is. And this is the shallow soil. It's this rocky soil, so that the earth is shallow on top. And the gospel is placed in this heart. But there's rocks, so that when he explains it, he says there's no inward root, so the root can't go down. The root has to go out. And it springs to life quickly, so down is into Jesus, out is into the community. And this person, they don't have an inward root that goes into Jesus, but they do have roots that go into Christian people. And they're fed by the community. In other words, this person, they go out and they go small group to small group and they skip church to church. They may be able to quote C.S. Lewis, but they've never read C.S. Lewis. It's like secondhand Bible. Right? Didn't the Bible say somewhere? God helps us. Oh, he didn't. Oh, shoot. Well, my, my pastor said that. Right? Or whatever it may be. And then it says it springs to life quickly. But when the sunshine comes, because it had no inward root, it withered away. Now, this is why. Because this is, we see this all the time. And some of you, as I'm saying this, you're like, please don't look at me. <laughs> look, look somewhere else. And I will. I'll look up. You're like, that's me. Is If my friends don't walk with God, I don't walk with God. And this person, they, they use, it's really fertile ground. But it's all community. So you have to, you have to move around. You're, it's YouTube pastor of the month or week and denomination or doctrinal fight or but no inward root. Jesus says this. Uh, this this passage is in he explains it in all in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and I'll just let you see his explanation for this. For Matthew it says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, the gospel, immediately he stumbles. So we'll just look at that one for a second. When someone immediately receives the gospel with joy, it's a caution sign. Like, oh man, this guy, you're so excited about the altar. He's like, woohoo, Stephen didn't make Christianity for me. That was his caution. Why would someone immediately receive the gospel with joy? I can think of two reasons. One is you're like, listen, I came to school looking for a fresh start, and I found friends who loved me like no one's ever loved me. They celebrated my name when I came to the spot. They bragged on me when I was gone. It was like, I was like, I'm living in an episode of Cheers. Don't you wanna know where everyone knows your name? Some of you have seen that show. And you're, it's like, what? Like, I got friends to, to go through this with. And, and you've got a game. The gospel gives you something you've always wished you had. Or it lets you get rid of something you wish you'd never done. Guilt. 
abortions, all those things, carrying it, and I find at the cross forgiveness. Oh, oh, I've been carrying that weight for so long, and God forgave me. It's awesome. We go to the Mark view. It says, these likewise are the ones on stony grounds who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately to someone. In other words, when someone goes, wait, you mean you think Jesus actually made this world in six days? Wait, you mean you think this kind of lifestyle is wrong? When you gotta stand up for the gospel? You gotta not, run? I don't know if you meant that. I think in the Greek it means something up. I'm sure it does, because that's gonna make this much easier right now. Okay, bye. <laughs> or in Luke it says, but the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy. And these have no root and believe for a while, and then in time of temptation fall away. So let me just explain this again. In other words, when they came to the cross, when they came to the it didn't cost you anything. Those rocks are your unyielded rights. In other words, tonight we will have an invitation for you to give your heart to God. And the gospel seeker and say, I want to receive that message. But that message won't last if you don't want to give to him your career. That's a rock. If you don't give to him your need for acceptance or accomplishment. Provisions, you need for things. Possessions. Safety. Security. Those are rocks that keep you from trusting Jesus because the inward root goes straight to God himself. But remember, we're not living for how to bring those little dots in our life. Those are rocks. We're living for him. So in other words, I know what's coming. If you're not willing to make a break, I know what's coming if you're don't want to trust him with a relationship. I just know what's coming. You'll be excited for a while. But it says that's coming. I'll tell you a picture from the story of Gavin as I moved to tonight. Yeah. That's Gavin. My kids go to a private school, but we can't afford. And Mandy goes, Lord, I don't want to have Eli raise money, so what should I do? And the Holy Spirit says, bring dogs. She goes, okay. So this is one of our puppies. It's an indiscreet golden retriever. We got, this is our second litter of eight, and this litter will pay for their next year uh, of private school. Really stoked about it. And that one is one my Luke called Gunner, but, but Gavin is calling Toto, the old man Chico. And, uh, that's his wife, Lexi. Gavin, his senior year of high school, his dad had died. All this stuff. And, but somehow he knew God had called him to be minister. I, I have one of the little essays he turned in. I think I'm supposed to be a minister. But he didn't get rid of the propaganda. 
And so he went and started getting a bunch of Christian tattoos, thinking that that would change his heart and be a message. And of course it wasn't. He quickly just failed and failed again. Was lost, joined the Marines, and was bad, and ended up marrying his handsome sweetheart. That's her legacy. And uh, Ethan sees him at a park with the daughter, Gavin's back in school. Ethan sees him and he's like, hey, start talking and invite him over for dinner. And Gavin is like, God, I know this is you reaching out for me, but I'm not sure I want to trust you with these rocks in my heart. He couldn't have said it in that words, but that's what he was saying. He's like, God, if I give my life to you, it's going to cost. It means my whole life is yours, not just my bad stuff. Christianity is not Jesus saving you from your bad stuff. He's even saving you from where your good stuff will take you away from him. Right? A love slave of God is someone who's living for his heart, not their own heart. And Gavin was like, I don't know, that's the thing. So now he's got all these you know, Christian tattoos, and, but not walking with God at all. And uh, his wife, it's honest. We're talking about the uh, pretending no more or less. She honestly, that was me. I raised a church or served with these group. But when I met Sierra, I realized I never talked to Jesus myself at all. I didn't know him for myself at all. I knew how to do church, but I didn't know how to do God. She gets honest. He gets honest. He's there and he shows up at church. And Jonathan goes, What do you like talking about? I was like, uh, I don't know. He's so convicted because he wasn't paying attention at all. He's just trying to, you know, do the religious thing and get it over with. So the next Sunday he comes and takes Drew's notes, and Jonathan never asked him when I talked about it then. He has a dream. God says, Basically, yes, Lord. Amazing. The Lord says, Gavin, I, I can't save you until you're willing to give me all of your life. So he did. This is interesting. Jesus calls, if you're going to say where the sunshine that grows the plant is, like, Receive the gospel. What's the sunshine that grows that gospel for me? I say love, mercy, grace. And then this is what Jesus says. Persecution, temptation, tribulation. What? Yeah. Yeah. So on. That's what grows the plant. That's what grows the gospel. In other words, if you have to be protected from temptation, you got rocks. You have to be protected from temptation. There's no inward root. You have to be protected from temptation. You're living off everybody else's opinion. But if you can face temptation without withering, you got something real. And you're ready for war. So this is what God wants to do. In everyone tonight, that is willing to let him do what he needs to do in everyone's life. Romans 8, 9, 14, 16 says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And here you see that Jesus says nothing about the receiving of the seed as the same thing as receiving of the spirit. 
food for thought. And then it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I'm going to pick on drinking a little bit. Proverbs 31 says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, to drink strong drink or wine, lest they forget their promises and deprive the poor of justice. Instead, let drink be for those who are perishing. Let them drink and remember their misery no more. I got two simple rules. If you got responsibility, battle responsibility, and you have hope, don't drink. And if you don't have responsibility and you don't have hope, drink away. Just admit that you got no better hope. Amen. Some of you are mad right now because I just hit a rock. And you're going to call me legalistic. The wounds of a friend are faithful. Yeah. An enemy multiplies kisses. No, that's fine. Do what you want. Go ahead and die. Make no real difference. Wither away in the sunshine. It's all right. God wants all of you. If you'll cling to that rock instead of giving him your heart, it's only a matter of time. It'll prove me wrong for a month or a year or four years, but I know it's coming. But, good God, I have a better hope. I can't imagine it right now, but I'll take you at your word. He who has hope doesn't have to drink. He who has responsibility doesn't have to drink. I don't dare lose my mind or show the world that I have no greater hope. What a terrible witness. I don't know anything better to do. We have more fun on accident than most people have on purpose. A rock climbing quote and sees Lewis to each other. Spider comes and goes, what are you guys talking about? This is like, like I'm gonna talk about this stuff when I'm really high. I'm like, yeah, we're not high at all. Um, but what we're talking about is true. It's like, yeah, can I hang out? Sure. We got something real. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. My final story as the worship team comes back. I think you guys are here. I know worship team did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> We're in a new place, the new system spread out. You haven't had, been able to have meetings like normal, and they're really, really good to us. And I think hungry for God. <clears throat> the Spirit Himself will bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I don't tell anybody to say it anymore. You know who keeps the books? God. You know who doesn't know how to read that book? Me. <laughs> he says, he who overcomes, I will write his name in the book of life. Cool. I don't know who's overcome yet. He goes, or he who overcomes, I will not love the name out. Wow, that's interesting. I don't know what that does to your theology, but one thing it tells you is that God keeps the books. And if you need me to tell you you're saved, or your small group leader, or your pastor, or your dad, it's just because you haven't heard from him yet. So what you do is you get honest. God, I don't even know if this is how I'm supposed to pray. I feel like King James might work better. But Lord, I don't know how to speak King James that well. 
And I'm not sure if I should say vexed, but uh, but God, if you can pierce through my words, that's getting honest. And God can work with that. Go, God, I, I have rocks in my heart that I, I've never given to you. And I don't even know that I have the strength to give them to you. And I don't even know that I want to give them to you. That's something you can work with. That's a start. That's what he did with Gavin as he started leading Gavin. So Gavin, he's working at an embassy in Guatemala. He's helping build the embassy. He's got this amazing internship with AM and this embassy company. And he's building the internship, and all his friends are there. And he's like trying to witness to him and love God. And they were all rejecting him. Being like, where's the old Gavin? We miss the old Gavin. And the more they push and prod him, miss the old Gavin. He said, God, I don't know if I'm messing up, and I don't know if the reason they missed the old Gavin is because I'm screwed up. But all I know is I don't want to let go of you. And so while he was there, he had a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit. He ends up on the floor, speaking a language he's never heard of before. And he gets up with a fire. He gets up with a fire that's ready for war. Able to rightly divine. Like, this is, no, yes, no, yes, no. He's still growing, maturing, vocabulary, like all of us will. God teaches you one thing at a time. Oh, okay, I'm not going to lose my temper anymore. Then I start to do that's what's going on. I'm not going to lose my temper anymore. Oh, God, leave. God, how come this guy is back again? God said, I'm trying to see if you're. Ready to trust me? Yes, God. I can take it. Turn the other cheek, he says. God, would you help me? Yeah, I'll help you. And these rocks, these things that keep you from having a direct relationship with God himself. They pour out of them. Now again, our altar space is limited. But God knows we're humble hearts. The Bible says this. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth to and fro, looking to strengthen whoever's heart is loyal to him. God made a promise. Yeah. If you're loyal to his heart, wherever you are in the whole world, he will meet you. So wherever, whatever seat you're in, he'll meet you. Here's how the altar response should look. Is if you're looking at it and you're like, that's me, I'm going to move away. And you got to get a new mind about selfishness. God, it's not okay for me to be selfish ever. So you got to rethink your life. Second, you got to repent. God, I don't want to be like that anymore. Let me explain. The prodigal son, God lets him go do what he's going to do. The father lets him go do what he's going to do. He goes and hardens all the money, swanders all his kids. He ends up living in a pigsty, wishing that he could eat what the pigs were eating. And he goes, if I could just serve my father, if I could just work for him, that would be better than working for myself. So he has to leave Egypt. And on the way, he's like, just, just to be a servant. He didn't have to usher me in his son at all. 
just a servant. I don't even know if he'll take me back, but if my dad will take me back and just let me work for him, that would be me. What a grace that would be. In other words, on his way back, he wasn't like, well, I blew it, but my dad, he's loving, he's forgiving, he's got more money, so I'm going to go back to him because he's got plenty of grace, so if I do this again, it's fine. Because I'm his kid, naturally. That's called still having Egypt inside of you. What he did, what he said. Lord, I don't even know that, Father, I don't even know that I can't come back. I've been that bad. But if you'll take me, I'll just serve you. And Egypt is out of you. And he comes to you. He's coming in, and his father's doesn't even let him get to that. It's raining back on his finger. That's the inward root. That's the Holy Spirit. Connection says, the Holy Spirit tells me, how do you know you're his son? Well, it's not just that he told me. Because I have proof. Yeah. Living experiential proof. I got something you can see. And some of you tonight, that's what he wants to do. You feel you're right where you're at. You can you got to get in your rocks. you got to get in your chairs for the pain. One thing you got to do is be ready for battle. See, God, I'll just do whatever. As long as I can make you happy. God, I don't even know that I can promise that tonight. I don't even know that I can promise that tonight. But I'll start with this one. Give that to you. God, I can give that to you. And you let the Lord search your heart. Keep finding rocks. You don't stop until he's done. And then you wait. Holy Spirit, because of the blood of Jesus on the cross, I know my sins can be forgiven. And then you wait for God to tell you that you're okay. If I tell you you're okay, and you don't have your own walk with him yet, he tells you what you're right. You got something unshakable. So God, you search your hearts. Lord, I know you see this. I sense your spirit moving, knocking. It says, Behold, that's dead, the door knocked. Lord, that there's some that are wrestling inside, others are just ready. So Holy Spirit, as we worship, we lift our hearts and our hands to you. We get on our knees. We get honest with you. Just trust that you can do it only through the Holy Spirit. I believe Cactus can be set free, Miles can be healed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let's get on Let's get on with God. While they sing, they'll just help you in atmosphere. Some of you won't have words and you can see there, but some of you won't have words and God's gonna lose your tongue. Give you heavenly language. Woven 